My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the Lord be in my heart and on my lips, that I may worthily and fitly proclaim the gospel in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we've been in the Gospel of John uh, chapter 6 for the past few weeks. Uh, With the exception of last Sunday, which was the feast of the falling asleep of the mother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, And so we commemorated that last week and we had uh, Holy Communion, which is appropriate given the topic of discussion that we've been looking at uh, in John chapter six. And today we're going to continue through John chapter six. We're almost done. Today uh, we're gonna talk about believing and eating. Believing and eating. So in the Old Testament reading that we heard earlier, Uh, from Ellen. Uh, It was the book of Proverbs and in chapter 9 verses 5 through 6 and it says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. And I feel like every single person not named Jesus in the story that we're reading should have should go back and like read (laughs) read that proverb, right? Because it feels like everybody is just kind of whiffing it. Everyone's just kind of kind of missing it with everything that he's trying to say and do. But wisdom calls to them. You know, St. Paul calls Jesus in in, uh, 1 Corinthians, he says that Christ is the power of God, but then he also says that Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. And wisdom, as the proverb says, says, calls to them and calls to us, to those who lack sense to come in and eat and drink and learn. And you might be sitting here thinking, well, I have sense. You do have sense, and I have sense, but sometimes we don't, and we need to be called by wisdom to come and eat and drink and live. And Jesus' words that we heard here in the the reading from John chapter 6, in verse 51, is a continuation of what we just said in the previous verses, linking the bread that he gives as true manna. And we've talked about that a lot, so I'm not going to dip too much into there. But just as that manna was a type of the reality that was to come in Christ's self-offering, that manna is now available to them. And we talked about Moses and Moses' position in their society and um, his provision of the manna and how Jesus kind of confronts that and turns it around on itself. Uh, And that manna that Moses, that God provided to them through Moses was heavenly. It was sent from heaven to the children of Israel. But Jesus, as the incarnate son of God, he's also sent from heaven. And he is the more truer bread. And he says that he is the true manna, but then he says, I am the living bread. So we have a progression here in John chapter six. So in verse 33, Jesus says, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then in verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever comes to me will never thirst. And then in John 6, 48, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And then in verse 51, he says, I am the living bread that has come down from heaven. And so all of this is making the, the listeners, which verse 59 tells us, He's at a synagogue, right? So it's not just people that are listening to crowd. It's going to be the rabbis and the Pharisees. They're all in there. They're all listening. And they're getting confused. Some of them are getting irritated and, and not believing what he has to say. So what does Jesus do? Have you ever had a conversation where 
you're talking to somebody and they don't understand what you're saying? Right? What do you normally do when they give you that look like this? Or maybe if they have a better poker face, maybe it's just like a lifted eyebrow. And you, you see, okay, they're, they're not understanding me. What do you normally do? You try to make it a little bit easier on them, right? You try to explain it in a simpler way. Does Jesus do that here? No, he doesn't do that at all. Jesus actually does the exact opposite of what most people would do in a situation when you're trying to teach people something and they're not understanding. I, I saw this, there's a thing on YouTube where it's um, a physicist or something explains physics at like a, a, a different grades, right? Or a violinist plays a song in like four or five or six different ways from incredibly simple, which sounds beautiful, to incredibly technical and, and like, like, wow, I didn't even know that was possible. But Jesus doesn't do that. He, he just intensifies. He doesn't make it easier. He says, he jumps, right, from I am the bread of life to the bread is my flesh. Oh, and by the way, I'm giving my flesh for the life of the world. And next week, we're actually going to talk about how his words here affected not only the listeners and the religious leaders and the scribes and the Pharisees, but how it affected and impacted his own followers. And what that does for us when we're confronted with the same reality, the choice that we have to make. But that's next week, so I won't spoil it. So right away, right, this causes them to dispute among themselves. They say, well, how? What the heck is going on? So Jesus, seeing their confusion and concern, he says it's simply. No, he doesn't. He intensifies it again. Truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Now we should note right away that anything the Torah forbids drinking of, of blood or eating food that had been mixed with, with blood. Leviticus 7, 26 and 27 says, Moreover, you shall eat no blood, whatever, whether of fowl or of animal, in any of your dwelling places. Whoever does that, that person shall be cut off from his people. And Leviticus 17, 14 says, For the life of every creature is its blood. Its blood is its life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, You shall not eat the blood of any creature, for the life of every creature is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. Right? So those who eat or drink blood are to be cut off from the people, right? Which means expulsion from the community and being forbidden to return, right? Some people read that being cut off as, no, that means they're going to be stoned and executed. That's not necessarily what that means. It's whoever eats and does this will be cut off. They'll be sent away, not allowed to return. And this is a big deal because the people of Israel are the people of the God, of God, right? The ones to whom God has made significant promises, whom God has favored, whom God has chosen to be the ones through whom he will redeem the world. But Jesus is saying to eat his flesh and drink his blood, both of which are going to be kind of forbidden in the Torah. And how in the heck would people be able to do that even if it wasn't taboo? There's only so much flesh and blood in and on a human being, so how can he offer it up on behalf of the entire world? And then if he's offering it up for the entire world, how will everybody in the entire world actually come and eat and drink? But Jesus says, if you don't eat and drink, you have no life in you. He doesn't say, if you don't eat and drink, you'll be okay. 
He says you don't have any life in you if you don't eat and drink. Eternal life is tied in with the consumption of his flesh and blood. And these are the things that bring about the cessation of spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst. St. Cyril of Alexandria says, how will he give them his flesh to eat? He does not tell them, for he knew they were in darkness and would never in that state be able to understand. But the power of learning suitably follows on those who believe. It was therefore right that faith should be first rooted in them before understanding. Right, so faith seeks and receives understanding. Faith seeks and receives wisdom's call to stop, to come in, to eat and to drink. And they don't have any of that. They don't have any faith. The people who knew the scriptures, the people who knew what we would call now the Old Testament, like the back of their hand, don't recognize wisdom's call, and they do not believe, and in so they cannot comprehend. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters, even if Jesus did break it down simply and say, okay, I'm going to explain it to you like I would explain it to a five-year-old, they still would not have believed. And even if he had proved it with a mighty sign for them right there, they would not have believed. And we know that because in John chapter 6, it starts off with some miracles. And how they're like, well, prove your claims, Jesus. And Jesus is like, I just did. And Jesus has been saying throughout the chapter, he's been saying things like, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. In verse 29. And in verse 35, he said, I am the bread of life. And in verse 40, he says, this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And then John 46, 47, he says, truly I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life, which then begs the question, brothers and sisters, is Jesus talking about eating and drinking as believing? Or is Jesus talking about eating and drinking as eating and drinking? Which is, is it believing or is it eating? And the answer is yes. So this leads to ask the question, right? And, and many different scholars have interpreted this in, in many different ways. The late great evangelical scholar F.F. Bruce, he says that it, eating is just a powerful metaphor that Jesus is using when he actually means believing. But I'm not so sure we can just leave it there. And this is a standard Protestant way of interpreting this text, right? Because in certain spheres in Protestantism, the idea of eating the body and blood of Jesus Christ is tied in with how our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters understand it through the, the lens of the, the doctrine of transubstantiation. So, so we can't believe that, so we have to then go from that to this, where it's just believing. That's too much, so we, we kind of have to go this way. that eating here is just believing. But I don't think we have to go that route. Because I think that Jesus, when he says eating here, he means eating and not just believing. Because to eat, what do you have to do? To eat of his, his flesh and drink his, of his blood, what do you have to do? Well, you have to believe. These two are tied together so we can't get away from his words here and then just chalk them up to figurative language. So, right, so is it believing or eating? The answer is yes. It makes sense. And I think that it's, we can't say that it's not a reference to eating. It is, because the words that Jesus is used for eating here, they, they change. 
right? So up to this point, when Jesus says he's talking about eating, he uses the Greek word phagein, which means to eat or to devour. But when Jesus says, he says it here, he uses the word trogain, which means to gnaw or to crunch or to chew, right? So we don't just get an intensification of what Jesus has been teaching them about how to receive eternal life. I am the bread of life, come to me, you'll never hunger or thirst. Oh, by the way, my flesh is, <laughs> you have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, right? That intensification isn't just in what he's using to describe what he's teaching. He even changes the vocabulary about what we're actually doing. The very words are intensified to reinforce what Jesus means. So Martin and Wright note, while obedient faith and listening are our means of ingesting God's word and his wisdom, the change to a more concrete word for eating accents the fact that Christ's offer of his own body and blood entails something even more radical. So his flesh is the true food and his blood is the true drink. And we have to remember, brothers and sisters, we forget this all a lot, I think, because in the Old Testament, we focus so much on the killing of the animal in the sacrificial system, and then with the sprinkling of the blood, that we completely forget the rest of it. Now, the, the, the killing of the animal itself, if you go back and read Leviticus, which you should, it's really fun, the killing of the animal is never ritualized. The focus isn't on the act of killing. The focus is on what you do with it, right? So the blood is used to sprinkle and to purify, but then what's done with the animal? It's cut up and it's cooked. And then what happens after you cook it? You eat it. You eat it because that's what sacrifice in the ancient world was. It was a meal with the gods that you worshiped. It was a meal, a covenant meal. And this is equally true for the Jews as the other ancient cultures of the time. And go back now and think of your Sunday school lessons, right? I, Cindy has drilled this into us and, and Ray and all, whoever else has been a Sunday school. Barry, I think you were a Sunday school teacher too, right? If you were a Sunday school teacher, raise your hand. Hey, Ellen, you were one too, yeah, right? Ed, right? So you know the story of the Passover, right? And you've taught it to the adults and to the kids when they, they, they killed the animal and they took the blood and they put it on the lamp, uh, on the lampposts. Uh, thinking of the Chronicles of Narnia for some reason. They put it on the doorposts, right? And the angel of death passes over and then they cook and, the, and they have the lamb. Do they just then, after they kill the lamb and they apply the blood, do they just throw the meat away? No, what do they do? They eat it. They eat it in haste. They cook it first, right? And then they eat it. So Jesus is offering of his flesh and his blood as the food of the new covenant fits right in line with everything we've seen of the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, that all of that is pointing towards the reality, right? The, the technical terminology for that is type and anti-type. So now you can impress your friends at parties with type and anti-type. Jesus' offering of his flesh and blood is the sacrificial covenantal meal of the new covenant that needs to be eaten. And those who eat and drink of it and believe will be given eternal life, unlike those who ate the bread in the desert and all died. They all died. And so, just like here, 
just like with these people. Wisdom says to us, come, eat of my bread, drink of my wine, leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. So I say that to all of us, to all of us, to leave our simple ways behind, to come when the next time we have, next time we have Holy Communion, next time we, we come before the Lord's table, let us leave our simple ways, let us eat and drink, mixing it with faith and trust in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who loved us, who gave himself up for us as not only the offering, but the one who offered it. To him be all glory together with his Father and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you have a few minutes, I'd ask you to go to gofundme.com slash Zion's Stone Church Repair Fund. We have some significant repair work that we need to do on our bell tower, as well as some repair work due to a recent lightning strike. Anything you'd be able to help us out with, we would greatly appreciate it. If you'd like to get a hold of me or you have any questions about what you've heard, feel free to reach out at our Facebook page, Zion Stone UCC, or you can check us out on our website, zionstoneucc.com. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.